Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Freely Nourish, the podcast that empowers you to break the cycle of dieting by teaching you to nourish your body well. I'm your host, registered dietitian, Erin Casey, and I'm also the owner of New You Nutrition Counseling, where we believe that you can reach any of your healthcare goals at just about any body size. So if you are ready to let go of that toxic and shameful cycle that is trying to shrink yourself and step into a world where you are nourished and loved and supported in any and all of your healthcare goals, uh, join us. We are we are ready to have you. As always, I will link all of my website information and contact information in the show notes for you all. Um, and if you know you are ready to do one-on-one counseling, we are certainly happy to help you with that. But we also have lots of group, you know offerings and things of that nature, digital offerings, et cetera. All of it's on the website. So, you know, definitely take a deep dive through there. We have everything from, you know, monthly groups that you can join, one-on-one counseling. Like I mentioned, you also have the option to, um, you know, do digital courses and, you know, things that are self-paced as well. So lots of, lots of options for kind of every, every, every phase of the journey, as well as every, you know, budget and things like that as well. Um, so check it out and we would we would love to have you. Um today what I wanted to talk to you all about today is a uh is something that I hear a lot of kind of questions and confusion about um as you know with most of my podcast episodes. So what uh what we're getting into today is um hydrogenated oils. So <laughs> It is, I, I think these have created more fear and more confusion um, in in the world out there. And also, unfortunately, bred a lot of distrust towards the FDA, which not that I'm in love with the FDA, you all know that by now. But um, I think it's, uh, unfortunately, this is kind of an, an incident of it kind of gone wrong. And unfortunately, the internet kind of getting hold of it at just the wrong time. So um I wanted to kind of take a, a couple minutes to kind of go through what hydrogenated oils are, if you've not heard of them, um, and kind of what the regulations around them are currently, what they have been, and kind of why it's it's really important to kind of be careful <laughs> and pay attention to who you're actually taking uh, information from on the, on the internet. Um, so hydrogenated oils or partially hydrogenated oils, I will probably interchange them quite a bit throughout the course of this podcast just because they they are kind of one and the same in terms of health implications and things of that nature. Um, the regulations of them are also the, the same now. Um, so they're, they're really kind of inseparable, but we'll, we'll kind of talk about what they are and the differences here for a second. Um, so hydrogenated oils, what they are is they are oils such as like vegetable, canola, et cetera, that have gone through a process of hydrogenation. Okay. So I want to be explicitly clear. That's kind of the first point right out of the gate. Olive oil, canola oil, vegetable oil, those things that you see on the shelves that are just pure canola oil, pure vegetable oil, pure, you know, corn oil, peanut oil, what have you, unless they have undergone a process of hydrogenation, and we'll talk about what that is in just a second, but unless they have actively been hydrogenated, those things as they're sitting on the shelves are not hydrogenated oils. They never have been, they never will be. Um, so I think that's the biggest point of confusion is that not all vegetable oil is a hydrogenated oil or a partially hydrogenated oil. What people do or what we used to do, and we'll get into the regulations in a second, it's not done anymore. 
But what we used to do is take that very same oil and go through a process of hydrogenation, which is basically just heating it up really hot and throwing a bunch of hydrogen atoms to change, one, the shelf stability, so it makes it a little bit more shelf stable, but also the texture of it. So this is how we came about things like margarine. Um which if you've ever kind of, you know, used margarine, um, it's, it's a lot more solid than an oil, for example. And that's kind of the point. The point is to make them cook and taste and look like butter, right? So that's kind of where, um, where all this started is that, you know, we, we realized kind of, I would say 1950s, maybe a little bit before that saturated fat, um, but, you know, in things like butter, um, bacon, grease, shortening, et cetera, are not great for your heart. Now, I will say it's almost gone too far the other direction now where people are just too scared to eat those things. And really, some of it is perfectly fine. Um, but I think it's, you know, we that's kind of when the science first came about. They're like, oh, man, like people are having heart attacks like, whoa. And like, it's partly because we're eating, you know, all the saturated fat, a huge source of that in most American households was butter. Butter was used in everything. If you've grown up with, you know, a, a parent or a grandparent who like cooked in the 1950s, like, you know, that like butter was a thing. Um, bacon grease was often a thing. Lard was a thing. Like those types of um, shortening was also a thing. So in an effort to use less of that and, uh, you know, consume by way of, you know, consume less saturated fat, we created things like margarine that was basically taking an oil, but hydrogenating it to the point where it looked like cooked like and tasted to an extent like butter. Um, and so that was kind of the ultimate goal. Um, we have since learned <laughs> that that process of hydrogenation and those hydrogenated fats are, I would say, arguably worse for you than, than the saturated fat. Um, there's certainly no benefit to consuming those things. Um, what, what I will say, so, you know, kind of to clarify too, in terms of language, hydrogenated oils and trans fats are the same thing. Um, so I think it's just kind of, again, I think that really confuses people. And to an extent, that's kind of by design by the food companies, and we'll get there in a minute. But trans fats and hydrogenated oils, whether they are fully hydrogenated oils, partially hydrogenated oils, um, all of those are trans fats. Um, so that's kind of where if you hear these buzzwords on the internet, just know that they all are the same thing. Um, I will say, so the FDA, we realized pretty early on that the full trans fats were were no bueno. Um, so that's kind of where the partially hydrogenated oils came from. Um, so people started like kind of partially hydrogenating canola oil and stuff like that. They would mix it with like real butter or, um, you know, they would, they would play with the science of it to try to make the texture. But basically the oil wasn't fully hydrogenated. That's a very minute chemical difference. But the idea was, well, if the, tran the full trans fats are bad, then maybe if we only do a partial, then it might be, um, then it might be better for us. We came to find out that actually those weren't, weren't really much better either. Um, they're probably not as harmful as full trans fats, but they're, um, but they're not, they're not great either. So you know, to clarify, none of these things are available on the shelves 
anymore. The FDA banned them in 2018. They made everybody reformulate everything by June of 2018. So nothing that you see on the shelves now should have any degree of trans fat. Um, I think they are allowed to have 0.05 grams. And that isn't and that doesn't account for anything that any food company could ever add in. There are just some trans fats naturally present in foods. Um, and that's basically what that allows for is that they don't have to take them out <laughs> of foods if they're already in there. But we don't, you're not going to, the food companies basically can't add them in. Um, and and to, to, for what we know from the science, that's all that's harmful. Um, so in 2018, everything was banned. So when you see things now that advertise that they are, you know, zero trans fats, they are, that's true, but nothing has trans fat. So nothing has hydrogenated oils. Nothing has partially hydrogenated oils anymore. They're banned. They were banned in 2018. Um, so so the, the fact that food companies still advertise that is just a marketing ploy. It doesn't mean that any other food product does have it. It just means that, theirs doesn't, which is true, but it's also like just playing on your fears of it to get you to buy their product over anybody else's. Um, but I think, you know, where where the confusion tends to lie is this idea that, well, partially hydrogenated oils or hydrogenated oils were made out of vegetable oil. They were made out of corn oil. They were made out of um, canola oil, et cetera. But basically those oils were chemically treated. Um, and that's what produced the hydrogenated oil. They in and of themselves are not hydrogenated, never have been, and are not harmful. Um, so I think it's really important to be careful when you hear people talk about this on the internet um, that unfortunately, I think the misconception has gotten to where because they thought, oh, well, hydrogenated oils are made out of, for example, vegetable oil, that all vegetable oils were hydrogenated. That's not true. But people took that and ran with it and created a lot of fear. Um, and that's really super unfortunate <laughs> because people are afraid to eat foods that really aren't as bad for them as they think. Now, am I sitting here telling you that you should be frying everything and like, you know, eat as much oil as you want and it's totally fine? No, there still has to be balance in your diet, right? <laughs> like that, that, that will remain true. But in terms of the harms caused by hydrogenated oil, the products are Certainly everything on the market now today, it does not contain any hydrogenated oil and is not anything you have to worry about. Did it at one point? Yes. Um, honestly, for most of us in our lifetime, we knew about trans fats like decades ago. We knew that they weren't great. There was a ban on full trans fats or fully hydrogenated oils since I think in the 70s is when they first banned that. And then the partials came out. Um the partials, I will say the data for them is not as strong. Like the trans fats, it was pretty much right away. Like this is not great. Um, the And when I say trans fats, I mean fully hydrogenated oils. We realized that those were not great pretty early on. Um, the partials, honestly, it was almost more of a consumer-driven um, request than real scientific data. The data that we have doesn't really indicate that these partially hydrogenated oils are super harmful, definitely not as harmful as the the fully hydrogenated oils. But what we have currently is just like, we can't also prove that they're safe either. So the FDA just banned them. And that's actually kind of a pretty big deal, which gets me into kind of the next talking point about this is that what we commonly hear in kind of this fear mongering and distrust of the FDA um, 
is that, you know, things are banned in other countries or labeled differently in other countries uh, than they are here. And I think it's just really important to recognize that the FDA operates a lot differently than some of the other regulatory bodies in other countries. Um, first and foremost, to say that things are like banned here and they're or sorry, banned in other places and they're not banned here. That's just simply not true. They're just labeled differently. So for example, like dyes and additives and things like that, a lot of times they are labeled differently. So the like, for example, I think it's like yellow number five. I'm just going to use that as an example. It's not technically banned by the European Union, but the exact same chemical, that same yellow dye, it's not called yellow five. It's called EY something, something, something with numbers, but it's literally the exact same thing. It just has a different name. But if you look up the the list on the EU ban, it, you, you won't find, I'm sorry, you won't find like yellow number five, but so things to that extent, like there's differences there just in terms of linguistics. I think it's also important to recognize, and I saw a really, really good Instagram post on this the other day that I'll link below if I can find it. Um, but it's it's also important to understand that like the FDA is what we call like a risk-based um, regulatory body versus like a harm-based regulatory body. And what that means, and I like to think of this as kind of the FDA is a scientific kind of, they evaluate the science. So they really delve deep into the woods. They look at what the research says. They're looking at research from not the food companies, but from, you know, kind of independent sources. And they're taking this huge collective body of evidence to suggest something is either safe or not safe. Um, and, and they're pretty conservative, even in of that, like, you know, Again, with the partially hydrogenated oils, that's probably the only time I've really seen them kind of be like, we don't really have a reason to say that they're harmful, so we're going to call them safe um, and then change their mind. But um, I would say, you know, generally speaking, they're they're fairly conservative and I don't love everything about the FDA. Don't get me wrong. But I think on that front, they actually do a pretty good job. They, they do want to keep consumers safe. They really do. Um, whereas things like, for example, the EU or the European Union in, in the UK, they are looking, they're almost more of like a consumerist body. So it's more of a lot of times, you know, things that are actually banned, it comes from, in the, in the U.S., it comes from science. It's like, okay, this is scientifically what we feel should be banned because it's not safe for human consumption versus the European Union may ban something because they have kind of a certain amount of social pressure to ban it. The science may not be there to support that ban, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to do it anyway, just because, um, just because, you know, consumers have basically voted that this is what they want. Um, the other thing to kind of keep in mind too is honestly, the things that are truly banned, frankly, aren't that different. I mean, it's there are some small kind of minute differences, but but on the whole, it's largely the same in most of the Western world anyway, I'll say that much. Um, but I will say the European Union does change like their regulations around labeling are much different. Um, so kind of the biggest sticking point uh, for a lot of people is GMOs or you know, genetically modified organisms. Um, in the US, you have to prove if your product is non-GMO, you have to kind of go through a pro, you know, a process of basically like you know proving that to a certain regulatory body and then you get to use the label of non-GMO versus in the in Europe, you have to label it as containing a GMO unless it doesn't. And again, it's very similar in terms of like the practicality, but it's just, it's the labeling is different. You're labeling everything. And it's basically most products on the shelves are labeled as GMO products. It's not that they are banning GMO products by any means. It's just that consumers want to know what is a GMO and what is not. Um, same as they do here, 
And, but the, the process is just different. Um, they're expecting that everybody, it would basically, you know, you walked into the store and like everything just said GMO on it. That's, <laughs> that's the only difference. Um, so I think it's just kind of important again, when you hear people kind of like use this rhetoric of, uh, you know, certain things are banned in certain places, like, well, are they really, or is it just called something different? And, you know, it's, it's just really important to kind of, you know, consider the source where that's coming from and also understand that like the EU and the FDA are not the same. They don't operate the same. They've never claimed to, and they don't, you know, for that reason, they have different regulations. Um, the goal for both of them is to keep people safe, but they go about it in different ways, always have. And that's, that's why there are differences. Um, so I think those are things that are important to keep in mind. Back to the hydrogenated oils. Again, it is just very, very important to be conscious of who you are getting your information from um, because <laughs> they they may have it confused. And, you know, when I sit here and kind of talk about like, you know, the chemical process of hydrogenation, like a lot of people don't even really know what that means. Um, and unfortunately, the mainstream media has gotten a hold of a lot of this and whether it is intentional or unintentional is probably up for debate. I have my opinion, but um, other people may have theirs. But the data has been misinterpreted, whether they are doing that deliberately to kind of create panic and sensationalize it and you know make a bigger story. That's up for debate. Um, I like to think that most journalists are trying to be responsible, but they just genuinely don't fully understand the science. Um and, and then unfortunately, things kind of get miscommunicated, like the idea that not all vegetable oils are partially hydrogenated oils. Um, so I think that's where a lot of that con confusion and misconception comes from is the way the media, in fact, reports it. Um, you know, that, that said... I think it also stands to reason that the field of science and just scientific literature, it is not a walk in the park either. Um, trying to kind of get your paper published and things like that honestly sometimes involves having like flashier titles and like bolder statements that like maybe aren't as accurate as, I don't want to say they're not as accurate, but they're not as nuanced as you would like them to be. So for example, something like partially hydrogenated oils cause cancer is going to grab the attention of not only the reviewer who's going to tell you whether or not you can publish the paper, it's also going to grab the attention of anybody in the scientific community reading it. Even if that's not fully what the paper says, having a title like that is going to be eye-catching. Um, and unfortunately, scientific literature has fallen victim to this as well. Uh, so it's not just the media, but then unfortunately the media either sees a title like that or like reads like a handful of sentences in the abstract and either misinterprets it entirely or sensationalizes it intentionally. Um, and then it gets misrepresented in the media. And then you have people all over the internet, like Instagram and TikTok that are basically operating at the level of reading. It's like a game of telephone, right? So it's like the study said what it said. You kind of hyped it up for the paper um, and then maybe made bolder statements than you wanted to to get it published. And then that paper was read by somebody in the media who then kind of did their own rendition of tweaking it and sensationalizing it. And the next thing you know, what the person on Instagram is reading versus what was actually done in the study, it's just, it's not the same at all, right? Um, so it's kind of like this giant game of telephone that's, and we're seeing it a lot now too with like sugars and artificial sweeteners, um, anything like that, where like you kind of hear this like fear mongering dialogue about how awful it is for you. I promise you, you, there's <laughs> there's a lot of that um and i think you know 
in in good faith and, and you know i don't think that anybody's necessarily wrong for for mistrusting the government um i think the government has steered us wrong and the fda is part of the government right um so i kind of i can understand where that skepticism comes from and then you see stuff like this and it just feeds like why are they allowing us to consume these things and it's just the the real answer is because the data as it stands doesn't support anything else, but people just don't trust that. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about people's health and safety here. Um, and, you know, the, the last episode I did was about the American Medical Association and kind of how, um, you know, insurance in this and country and things like that have created a huge amount of mistrust in healthcare. Um, same thing is true for, for any governmental agency. And I, and I think that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, it's just that, you know, unfortunately, I think it's it's going to take a lot more transparency um, on, on the role of the FDA. And I think they are not transparent because until recently they haven't had to be. But I think if COVID taught us nothing else, they would be served well to be a little bit more transparent. Um, even if the, the general public doesn't fully understand it, I think they would appreciate the openness and the honesty. And even if it's we're opening up into a huge tangled web it will at least kind of let people know like this isn't as simple as we want to think it is um so that's that's really all i had for you on hydrogenated oils um but i, I promise you the the fda does have your best interest in mind um they're, they're not perfect no organization is but um at least on the hydrogenated oils thing you can certainly rest assured that they are one not in your food and honestly even if they were probably aren't nearly as harmful as the internet would lead you to believe. So with that, I hope you have a great rest of your day and I will see you next time.